only get bigger. Because we believe that the church is not just what happens in rows on a Sunday morning, but what happens around the table on a Wednesday night. That it is the, it is the people gathering in the temple to the table that makes this thing complete. Um, it is one thing for you to look me in the eye for 40 minutes. It's a whole other thing to look several people in the eye for an hour over dinner on a Wednesday night. There's something at that point, you don't have to say anything right now, except amen, preach it, preacher, and all that. But, but on a Wednesday night, you get around the table... You kind of look at each other and go, and now here's what's cool about our dinner parties. Um, just hanging out. Uh, we want people to see Jesus through our hospitality. And so our dinner parties are all about hospitality and, uh, and, and the conversations and the things that happen. I remember last, um, last season when we launched them, how there was just kind of a little bit like every, every Wednesday, like every, like every Wednesday, like stuff happens and stuff. You got some pl- things playing? No, but stuff happens, you know, and, uh, and by the end of it, um, people were throwing around this word family. It's amazing what happens when you're intentional. It's incredible what happens when you carve out a section of your week, even when you don't want to. Um, what happens in relationships. So, man, I'm pumped. So give it up for John and Kristen McCurdy for leading us so well in our dinner parties. And for all the dinner party leaders and hosts that opened up their home, we went to Scott and Rebecca Tresky's house on Wednesday night. There's about 10 to 12 of us, all of our six kids. No, yeah, six kids running around like crazy, all under the age of seven. That was awesome. Only one injury. And, um, but we all ate. We all had a good time. That's what, this, here's the thing. We've made hospitality equal entertainment. We've got to bring out our finest china, make sure everything, the candles, everything. What about if hospitality is just about you welcoming people into your life wherever you are at in your life? And uh, again, authenticity. Hey, turn to John 17. Uh, we just got a couple minutes. We've done a few things already today. I went ahead and extended worship. There was an over-under on how, whether or not I would jump up and extend worship. Um, uh, and, uh, and we went to conference last week, so you knew it was going to happen. Um, and, uh, and, and I, uh, I, I know that I would just really encourage you, August 7th through the 9th, in San Diego, California, palm trees and everything else, we've got Presence Conference. Uh, It's going to be a blast, downtown San Diego. So um, make sure you do that early bird by April 1st. Yes, it's an investment, but why not invest in yourself a little bit? Amen? Uh, You make a lot of investments all the time. Let's make one that matters. Amen? And save a few dollars every week, you'll be able to make it. It's going to be good. Scott and Rebecca Tresky, the Lord says to you, that's a, that's a super churchy way to start that. Um, God is with you. And this is, this is not the season you were in. And while it can feel that way sometimes, it is a new day and a new season. And to prepare your hearts for that, because it is easy to bring what was into what is. And it's super easy to sabotage what will be. So I just say to you, prepare your hearts, whatever that looks like. That's up to you to decide. I ain't got that for you. Sorry. But I was just, I was just looking across the row, and I just, so it's a new season. Amen? But we pray over Scott and Rebecca Tresky. It'll be life and hope and joy. God, we pray that there'd be an overwhelming sense of your grace for whatever is next. God, we would not try to figure it out ourselves, but in all things, we would lean upon you and trust in you and know that you are our Father and you're a good one. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, John 17. Um, all right. Some of you are new here, and you're like, man, there's a lot of this stuff going on. Uh, we just believe the word is clear that, uh, that the Holy Spirit still works today. 
in powerful ways and in ways that are beyond our understanding, but that doesn't mean it has to be weird. Uh, we also firmly believe that the Bible doesn't make it weird and strange. We believe it should be relevant. Um, we believe the Holy Spirit should make you more relevant, not less. And so we believe that this shouldn't be the only time you hear someone say to you, hey man, I just feel like the Lord was, would say this to you. And uh, I've been a part of that. I've been around that. I did it Saturday afternoon in Atlanta. I got my hot dog from the dude, and I said, hey, Stephen, I know you've only been here for eight months, but God is going to work in your life. It's going to be a blast. And he just smiled. And he doesn't know that I was trying to be, like, all spiritual and stuff. Um, but I just want to encourage you, don't make it weird. Make it every day. Make it normal, because the Spirit wants, the God wants to speak through you. And uh, I, I'd much rather have it that way than me trying to come up with what to say every time. All right, John 17. Is it about, should we get into it? I think we should get into it. Okay, John 17, my goodness. Woo! All right, so many other things we could talk about. John 17, verse 20. Jesus has been, since chapter 13 of John, Jesus has been sitting and teaching his disciples. He's been going through some things. He's talking to them about Judas. He's talking to them about uh, remaining in him, being a part of the vine. Uh, he's talking about several different things. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. So he's really, you, if you look in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, meaning those words are the words Jesus spoke, you'll notice there are a lot of red letters happening here. And so John 17 is when it kind of transitions from him teaching his people to him praying to his father. And we don't know for sure, but it kind of seems like he doesn't leave the room to do this. That he's kind of, he's there with his disciples and all it, all it says is he looks to heaven and he begins to pray. And I, I want to talk to you today about what does Jesus pray for? What does Jesus pray? I know he gave us the Lord's Prayer, but what does Jesus pray when he prays? How many of you know if you knew what Jesus prayed for, it might change what you pray for? How many of you know if you knew what Jesus prayed for, it might change how you live out this life of faith? So if Jesus is praying for it, and I believe still what the Bible says, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you, interceding for you and I, I believe this is still very much his prayer in John 17. And in fact, this is something he taught his disciples, and then something he prays in front of his disciples, most likely. So what does Jesus pray for? Now, he goes on. I'm going to start in verse 20. So there's 19 other verses you could go look at. The same kind of theme runs through them all. But I'm going to start in verse 20. We're just going to read three verses, all right, partly because I stole some of my own time. All right, verse 20. I pray not only for these, so not only my disciples, not only those I'm sitting with at the moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for you. Everybody understand that? He's praying for us. He's praying back a few years, right? Surrounded by his disciples, and he's praying for them and any of those who would believe through their message, which is what you talk about when you're reading the Bible and Paul's writing the letters and all these things. Praying for those who would believe. Here's what his prayer is. Are you ready? Verse 21. May they all, everybody say all. May they all be one. May they all. Not may some of them. Not may a good 75% because I feel like that's a good mark to hit. Not just, not just even 80%. But, but all of them may be one. That's a big, that's a big statement. I don't know if you've ever tried to get a bunch of people to go to the same restaurant. 
I don't know if you've ever ended church and you had three people going and that was easy. No problem. Hey, we're heading here. And then someone else hears that you're inviting some people to lunch and they go, where are you going? I've got seven people who want to go to lunch. And you're like, well, okay, cool. Y'all should go somewhere then. You just, just go. Um, because you don't want to even go into that territory of what happens when we got 15 people who show up at the same restaurant and just to get, and then, and then you have to sit down. You know that feeling? Like you got 15 friends and they all feel bad if you don't sit by them because you are that cool? And everybody's thinking the same thing. I don't want to offend anybody with, with not sitting next to them because they all love me so much, right? And you got, you got to figure, well, maybe you sit here. And, and then when you got kids, it adds to the problem because you got to make sure that you're close to your children. Or you're one of those parents like, why don't you just sit here? Yeah, that's great. Look, oh, you love them. Yeah, you should sit there. And, uh, right? And, uh, yeah. It's, it's hard when the, the group gets bigger to get moving in the same direction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So when Jesus prays his prayer, I believe he's actually praying it. May they all be one. We can make some assumptions about disciples, can't we? Like that they all loved each other really, like a lot. That they all liked each other a lot. We make a lot of assumptions reading the Bible. Like why would Jesus be commanding it and praying it if they were already doing it? Jesus knew there were some possible interpersonal issues happening amongst just the 12, and he knows there's going to be more as they grow. And so he's saying, may they all be one. That is Jesus' prayer for his disciples and any of those who would believe after his disciples preach his message, this good news. He wants them all to be one. But then he keeps going. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. So may they be one just like we are one. I'm in you, you in me. We are so together. I want them to be one like that. May they also be one in us. So the world, now this is a big statement, so that the world may believe you sent me. Verse 22. I hope you're starting to catch a little bit of what's happening here. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. So there's a couple things that happen here, right? First thing he says is, I want them to be in us. That's a, that's a really, really, really big statement, that they would be in us, because, because location actually does matter. Paul would say it like this, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have a new location. Uh, in fact, multiple times in the Gospels and in Paul's letters to the people, he uses this word that I think is one of the biggest words of the Bible, even though it might be one of the smaller words, and that is the word in. So Paul would say something like, I want their identity or them to become mature in Christ. Even some of the, word, even some of the verses that we quote often, uh, things like, we are more than conquerors through Christ. That, 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 that nothing is impossible through Christ. There's something about being located, locating our lives, locating who we are in Christ Jesus that allows us to do all the things that he said we could do. So it is in Christ that we find the unity that he desires for us. But the other thing that's really important about that is that it's born of Christ. This is a supernatural unity. This is something because he says this. He says, let them be one just as we are one. That's quite a standard, isn't it? I mean, I want you to think about Jesus and God, the Father, 
Jesus, I want you to think about how, how like, one they are. Like, like, how in unison they are. Like, how in agreement they are. Like, how much they love one another. The way they fight for one another. The way they praise one another. The way they honor one another. The way they, they put, I mean, I just want you to think about the way they are, and that's how you and I should be. It should be a little bit challenging. It should be a little bit daunting to look at that phrase and go, yeah, yeah, cool. Because I think for many of us, we go, hey, man, are you with them? Yeah, yeah, I'm with them, sure. I mean, until you hit me on a topic that I disagree with them on, and then I'm not with them. you know, Or, or it hit me on a bad day, and I might say some things about them. Or, or maybe they did something that I don't like, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to let you know about it. So we're one most of the time, and we're kind of one all the time, but we aren't one all the time all the way. And yet Jesus' prayer for you and I is that we would be one, and not just one like our definition of one, but one like, hey, I want them to be one like you and I are one. It's kind of this idea that it's perfect love, and, 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 and Paul talks about this perfect love, right? He talks about the love that Christ has and the love that chases away fear, and, the, and the, the love, perfect love is powerful, I want you to hear it this way. There's a perfect love towards one another, but I also want you to hear that the object of the Father's love is perfect in Jesus. And the object of Jesus' love is perfect in the Father. Let me unpack that just a little bit, okay? Um, The idea that there's nothing for them not to love the Father about. And there's nothing for the Father not to love Jesus about. It's not like Jesus bailed on the Father and like took a three-week vacation. Jesus, it says that the Bible says that Jesus was perfect in his life on the earth. And now some of you are like, yeah, well, I'm not perfect like Jesus. Actually, that's not true. Yeah, you don't do everything right, but the Bible tells us, and God says, and Jesus says, that my perfection is in you, my righteousness is yours. That what I am and what, what I've done and who I am is now in you. And, and so he even says it here. It's because I'm in them. I'm in them. And so the Father looks at you, and it's not just a perfect love towards you. He's loving someone that he views as perfection, as righteous. Yes, you were sinful, but the moment you confessed, the moment you said, I surrender my life to you, he looked at you differently. That's what covenant is. Covenant is to say what is yours is mine and what's mine is yours. Your righteousness, Jesus, is now mine. He doesn't look at you according to your failure or look at you according to your sin or look at you according to your mistakes. He looks at you according to Jesus and Jesus's price and Jesus's life and Jesus's righteousness only. So you are the perfect object of of God's love. so So the way we should love one another is similar, isn't it? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, there's this, uh, there's this great group of verses and that, that people love to make me read at weddings. which is awesome, but I almost sometimes think, are you sure you want to commit to this kind of love in front of everyone? Because that's a, that's, like a, that's a big kind of love that you're talking about, right? Love that he keeps no records of wrong. Love that believes all things, endures all things. I mean, this kind of love is something else. And if you realize where, where Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians, you realize out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's not just a, a nice thing to say, but there's actually something that spurs that thing on, that there's actually something that drives that kind of love, and it's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 13, 
which says we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so the love that, that in fact, the whole point of chapter 13 is that he's saying you have now the Holy Spirit in you, and so if you don't have love, then you probably aren't doing anything of substantial worth. Like, love has to drive everything you do. But it's not a love born of just yourself. It's a love born of who I am. It's a love born of the advocate, the one who is similar to me, the one that looks just like me, the one that would testify to who I am, the one who is producing fruit in you like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That, that's the supernatural kind of love. That's why in the, the verse, the, this same prayer, on a couple different occasions, Jesus is praying the same thing. I want them to be one. Why? So that the world would believe that I sent them. So it can't just be the kind of love that everybody has. It has to be the kind of love that only Jesus can give. Because it has to be a love that testifies to who he is. So there should be a crazy beyond belief, supernatural, ridiculous kind of love that happens in the body of Christ that testifies to who Jesus is and that he was who he said he was. So there's got to be a, a level of forgiveness that's higher than just anyone else's level of forgiveness. That there's got to be a, a peace that surpasses understanding. There's got to be a, a joy that in the midst of all circumstances I can lean into. There's, there's got to be a, a oneness and a unity that is so beyond what is expected that it is a witness to who Jesus is. That's the kind of oneness that Jesus is praying for. In fact, he says it again in verse 23. He says, may they be completely, if you haven't already gotten the point, not sort of, not kind of, not a little bit, but may they be completely one. That's a challenging statement. It really, gosh, completely? Like I'm like all in on these people? Like, I, I'm going to love them regardless. I'm not going to keep any record of wrong. I'm going to believe all things and endure all things. Come on, I'm going I'm to have hope in the midst of all the trial. I'm going to believe the best about them. I'm going to see Jesus in them, even when maybe they ain't acting like Jesus would. They forgot their bracelet at home. Like, what do I, I, I have to love them completely? Yes. Yes. That is the standard is that I would love you so much that we would become indistinguishable. I would love you so much that we would become one. That we would be so united. I, listen, some of you guys are like, wait, so if I like the Cowboys, does that mean now I have to like the Redskins too? No. That is not in the Bible. But hear me. Where is your oneness born of? The Spirit. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Everything leads back to him. If we have gotten to a place where our relationship is no longer built on the cornerstone of Christ, if we have gotten to a place where our relationship no longer bears witness to who Jesus was, then we have missed the mark. We have come off to the side. And I understand some of you are like, well, that's not fair. Because there are other people who don't like me. And you want me to like them or love them or forgive them and they haven't forgiven me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100% of the time. I know that's a high standard because it's a Holy Spirit standard. 
It's not meant to be born out of your own identity. It's meant to be born out of the identity that he brings into your life. It's meant to be produced fruit. It's not meant to be strived for fruit. It's not meant to be work for it fruit. It's meant to be produced fruit. It's meant to be born of the Holy Spirit because you are all baptized by one spirit into one body that we might become the body of Christ working together that people might go, oh my goodness, you see all the different kinds of people with all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of challenges and problems and issues and all different kinds of hair colors and styles and musical likings and even the country folk music loving people are in that group. Can you you believe that Pastor Brandon lets them stay in his church? Can you believe it? And, 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 and I want to look at that as a supernatural kind of love. And that kind of oneness. See, I, I just believe that this is the message of the gospel through and through and through. Unity. Oneness. There's nothing we can't do if we are united. There is nothing we can't do if we are of one mind and one heart and one voice. There is nothing we can't do because unity is the driving force of all the good news. Is that when we would grow united in Christ Jesus, it would be the testimony in and of itself that Jesus is who he said he was. And that's what we strive for. Completely one. So where are you at? Are you sort of one? Right? Are there some people in here that are like kind of one? Like if you, you got like 92 people in here that you're going, yeah, 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 all in on them. And then you got like seven people that you're like, I'm sort of one with them. Like I'm kind of with you on them, but you don't know what they did or you don't know what they said or you don't know how they acted or you don't know the mistake they made. No, no, I do because I've made some of the same and you've made some of the same and they made some of the same. And so we all make mistakes. So well, let's be united in the fact that Jesus forgave us for those. And let's begin to see Jesus in people because he is the one that we are seeking anyways. And as we grow united as one, we will begin to see a city see Jesus. Like we can come up with all the programs and all the events and all the stuff. But the reality is when we are one, there is nothing that will keep the gates of hell. There's nothing that could keep us from storming. the We will be so in what God wants us to do when we are united in him. So where are you at? And maybe it's not the people in this room. Maybe it's some people around you. Maybe it's some friends that aren't here today. Or, or there's some things that you've held against them. Or maybe there's some things in your past that have kept you from really leaning in to future relationship. Maybe there's just some stuff that has kept you. And Jesus is praying for you. I still believe this. That he is praying for us every day that we would be one. Because he knows there is nothing more powerful. It's why Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, is such an amazing picture of what the gospel is about. That he is bringing the church together to be so united in purpose and vision and mission that it becomes the greatest thing that testifies to the glory of God. All the different people coming together under one name to worship Jesus and to love people. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much today, today, right now. That there are some things that all of us carry. Every one of us, is, no one's exempt from this. No one's exempt from this thing or this message or this idea. Lord, there are, there are people in our life where we have remained separated. Where we have decided they're not worth our love. And yet you want us to see them as you see your father. You want us to see them as the father sees you. You want us to give perfect love. Love that's beyond our own ability often to do it 
but God, one that is born of and powered by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would bring about something in us that would, would cause us to, to be one. And we do this every Sunday, and I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds of silence. Just 30 seconds to be still, because I don't believe that I'm the only one that the Holy Spirit speaks to or gave a word to. I, I just want you right now to just ask this one question, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do with what I've heard today? What would you have me do with what I've experienced today? What would you want me to do? I want you to just take 30 seconds. I want you to ask that question.